So either the sound man was daydreaming back there or he was into the song. So when the guitarist and the pianist get into a song, they start pounding those keys a little harder, strumming a little faster. If the sound man gets into a song, he daydreams and forgets to do the slide. Or he was checking the score of his team's score back there. I don't know what he's doing back there. Glad that you're here this morning. What a great song. We take our Bibles today to Mark chapter number 12. And we're going to finish the chapter today. Mark chapter number 12. Before we do that, Joe, back partway through, there was a picture of our bus. Do you want to put that picture of our bus? The bus made it to Mexico, 800 miles. I was praying that that bus would make it. And so that church that I was able to be at down in Mexico, they are using it today for the first time for the glory of God, bringing people to church. Instead of it sitting here and being used four or five times a year, it's going to be used every week for those children there. And they don't have to worry about wonderful California and the stupid emissions. I mean, the wonderful laws that they have about emissions and things like that. Don't they realize someday you can do all you want to? And I, I am for being, a, being good to our planet and being careful about things that I do. But at the end of the day, it's all gone. I hope you realize that there's going to be fire coming from heaven. Global warming is going to really happen. I am a firm believer in that. But And saving your aerosol cans and things, are not, it's not going to change it. It's going to come at some point. And so, but anyways, I think it's a blessing that the bus made it. And praise God for that, and they'll be able to use that. I'm glad we could take something that the government isn't letting us keep here and take it somewhere else where it can still be used for the glory of God. I think that's a blessing and a great thing. And so... Our Bibles are in Mark chapter 12 today. We're going to dive into the passage today here. To, are you doing okay back there, Joe? It's like putting like three different slides up at the same time. All right. Do we need to get anyone back there with you? Get you focused? You okay? All right. We're good to go. I, last service, Johnny started the timer real late, so we were like seven minutes late starting the service. So I told that the reason I went along with the sermon was because the timer was so late was the problem. And so, But really, I preached long. And so we're closing out chapter number 12 here in the book of Mark today. And really, the overwhelming question would be this. Do you love God? And I think everyone in this room would say they love God. I would hope you would. If you're here in this room, I would think that would be your answer today. So let's go a little deeper on that question. Do you love God more than you love yourself? Or do you love yourself more than you love God? Now, I don't want you to answer that out loud. I want you to think on it yourself. Now, I know all of us would say, I love God more than I love myself. I remember a little phrase my mom used to tell me when I was a kid, that actions speak louder than words. So, do your actions reflect that you love God more than you love yourself? Ask that to yourself as we go through the message today. Some people would, and a lot of commentaries, lots of things I looked at, They would kind of split this message up into two parts, but I believe it all goes well together, and we're going to close out chapter number 12 today. As we look at this, you could sum up the whole chapter this way. There was a group of scribes, Pharisees, Herodians, priests that loved their way and themselves more than they loved God. In so much that they made it so that when Jesus was there to set all of them free, they didn't want Jesus to mess with their lives and mess with their religious system they had set up. And then the chapter closes with a widow. 
that does not have much, but she took the little she had and gave it to God. And Jesus watched her and was amazed and told the disciples, this woman has given so much more than anyone else. Not because of the amount, but because she gave God her all. This is the tendency we have. We hear the, the story of the widow's mites here, and we're thinking, oh boy, pastor's going to talk about money this morning. Now, the only people who have a problem with a pastor talking about giving and money are those that don't give. If you give, you don't have a problem hearing about it because it doesn't bother you to hear about it. But if you don't give, it bothers you. So, I'll tell you this. I'm not going to be talking a lot about giving today. I'm going to be talking about your heart. Because if the heart is right, everything else will be right. Let's look today at Mark chapter 12 and read verse 35. The Bible tells us here, And Jesus answered. Now remember last week, the last question was asked to Jesus. And when Jesus answered it, That thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, they didn't ask him any more questions. So Jesus is still teaching there. It's Tuesday, the week of his death. He's still teaching in the temple. So it says, And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself, by the Holy Ghost, now you see right there, we see how we got the word of God. The Bible was given to us, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That was the inspiration. That's how we got the scripture. So we see an example of this right there in verse 36. Do you see what it says there? For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost. There's an example of inspiration before us. And that's what makes the Bible the amazing book that it is. It is not just a book written by a bunch of men. It was given, written by men, through the Holy Ghost as the Holy Ghost moved them to do it. That's what makes the Bible supernatural, makes it a book that's alive, that's such an awesome book that is, that can teach us what it does today, 2,000 years after most of it was written. So, we keep on going there. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. The common people there in the temple received what Jesus had to say. Isn't it interesting, though, that these same common people, maybe a few days before, were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they received what Jesus said here, but the next day and a half or so, they're the same ones who are going to be crying out, crucify him, he's not our king. You see how they were tossed all around with whatever was said. It's amazing, they received what Jesus said here. So Jesus goes a little deeper with things. It says, and he said unto them, this is Jesus in his doctrine, beware of the scribes. The scribes were the ones who knew the law. They loved the law. They studied the law. Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing, and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief priests in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. 
And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have this morning. We need you. We need your help. I pray that you would guide our thoughts today, guide the direction that we go. And I pray that at the end of the day today, that you would be honored and glorified by what's said. And I pray that as a church, we would not be known as the scribes or the rich people here who love themselves more than they loved you. But may it be said of all of us in this place that we love you more than we love ourselves. And may our actions prove it. We love you. We need you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. They're done asking Jesus questions. And Jesus is continuing to teach. Jesus takes them to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse number 1. This is the verse that David penned. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now you look at this verse, and let's just, we're going to break it down a little bit. I'm going to give you the background here. Then we're going to dive into the rich man and the widow and the heart in a minute. But as we look here, what Jesus was trying to do and explain to them is he was pointing out the fact that the coming Messiah, the chosen one of God, would be more than just a man. He's going to be God as well. So you look at this verse in Psalm 110, and if we break it down a little bit, you don't have to have a Greek and Hebrew background to know things, but some, a little bit of Hebrew helps a little bit right here. The Lord, all capitals. You see how it's all capital? That wasn't by mistake. That's on purpose. Jehovah God, Yahweh, this is God himself, said unto my Lord. The Lord God, Jehovah, said unto David's Adonai. David's Lord. So what this says is, the one that was coming from David is also Lord. You see that right there? That's the correlation here. All the Jews knew this passage. The scribes knew this passage. And then, keep on reading, it says, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So what David is saying is that the coming Messiah is going to be co-equal with God. Because he's sitting at the right hand of God. That's why, you remember when James and John asked the question, can we sit at your right and left hand? No man can sit at the right or left hand of God. It's, design, it's God's. He is the ultimate authority. So for in this passage we see, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at the, my right hand. What this is saying is, the coming Messiah would be a man, but he's going to be God's man. He's going to be God in the flesh. They knew this verse, but they couldn't tie all that together. We go back to our text, and we look at verse, we keep reading in verse 36. It says, For David himself, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Look at verse 37. David therefore himself called him Lord, 
And whence is he then his son? So what this is saying is you think about in Bible days, and it doesn't happen too often today, where a father, like in this passage, the father says to his son that he's in charge and he's the Lord. It would go the other way around. A son honors his father, right? That's how it's supposed to be. But for the fact that David was referring to the fact that this son of his would be his Lord proves the lordship of Jesus Christ once again. If we're being honest this morning, they had the scripture. They had the records to trace that Jesus was of the right tribe. They saw the blind receive their sight. They saw the dead lived again. The deaf received their hearing. All the signs pointed to the fact that Jesus Christ was the one that needed to come. And yet, they missed it. But we can't be too hard on all those people, because today, we not only have the Old Testament, we have the entire Bible. We have everything that we need for life found in the Word of God. And many people cannot figure out that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You've been given the Bible. You've seen the lives that are changed, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. So the evidence is before our very eyes today. And people still don't get it. So Jesus talks about this and really puts the scribes on blast that they didn't realize this. And the people are like, wow, we've heard this verse a long time. We know this verse. And no one's ever taught it to us like this. But that's what it says. And it's right. Jesus is right. That's what they're saying here. So Jesus tells them, you need to beware the scribes. Hey, then we see that rich man mentioned, then we see the widow and her two mites. Last week we looked at the fact that we are to love God with everything that we have. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourself. One of the things that we know this morning is that we all love ourselves. We do. If our stomach grumbles... We feed it because we like to take care of ourselves. You might drive by, you know, some people might like coffee and you see Starbucks and you'll spend the money on a Starbucks because you want the special drink because you like it. You do that because it, you like it. You like yourself. You love to make yourself happy. We all do. You go to a steakhouse and you spend $40 on a steak. That's probably little today. It's probably even more with inflation and things. But you spend four, you say, why? Well, I like steak. Because you love yourself, you're willing to pay that money for yourself. We love ourselves. That's why Christ, even, or Paul said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Treat your wife the way you, love her the way you love yourself. Because no man ever hated himself. That's what the scripture says. Our love at very best is tainted today because of sin. Our love is not perfect because of the lives that we live. In fact, you think about this very verse. The only reason we love God today is because he first loved us. Isn't that selfish? When you really look at that, we only love him because he first loved us. That's selfish, really. So even our love for him is only because he loved us first. Think on that. So our love at very best is tainted because of sin. That's why only perfect love can cast out fear and doubt, and that perfect love is the love that God has for us. 
So we look at the message today, and as we tie some things together, I want to ask you this question. I know you love God. I think everyone in this room says they love God. And we know why we love Him. But what I want to know this morning is, do you or do I love Him more than I love myself? Or do I love myself more than I love God? Your actions reveal where you stand on that statement. Number one this morning, we see that some people love themselves more than God. Pretty simple statement right there. Some people love themselves more than God. I could have said a majority of people do, because we all, and this is the thing, you can have one moment where you really love God and do really good, but then the next minute you do bad with it, and then, you know, so no one is perfect at loving God. If you think you're perfect at loving God, you've got problems. None of us are perfect at loving God. But some people love themselves more than they love God. And as we look at our text here this morning, and as we dive in a little bit, the first group of people we see mentioned in this passage were the scribes. In verse 38 through verse number 40, Jesus goes after them here. The scribes were the doctors of the law. They read, they copied, they interpreted the law. They knew the law. They were considered authorities about the law. They were basically religious celebrities of their day, if we were to be honest today. But look at how Jesus describes the scribes and how they live. So we look at these scribes, the first thing, number one, we see about them is they love to go in long clothing. That's what the Bible says right here. So one thing to know about the scribes, they wore white robes. The common people today did not wear white robes. You're in the dirt all the time. That white robe is going to get pretty dirty. And so to distinguish themselves from the others, the scribes would wear a robe. And this robe at the bottom of it had this beautiful hem at the bottom. So it looked more like they were gliding instead of even walking. So they were distinguishing themselves. They loved to wear those clothes and get attention from people. Number two. They loved salutations in the marketplace. They loved for people, this is what would happen, they'd walk into the marketplace, let's say, you know, let's just use the market today, let's say you're in a market today and someone is fixing the air conditioning. You could keep working and fixing the air conditioning, but if you're shopping there, doing anything else, whatever you were doing, if a scribe walked through the marketplace, you stopped what you were doing, and you stood up in honor and respect for the scribes. They loved that. They loved wearing their fancy clothes that drawed attention to themselves. They loved getting this sign of respect from all the people around them. Number three, they loved the chief seats in the synagogue. Now, the, in the synagogue there, there was this bench that had all the scrolls underneath it, the law underneath it. They loved to sit on top of that bench. That was their spot. They loved that. They were, they were the protectors of the law, whatever the case may be. And so they loved those seats. You know, in a church today, the chiefest seats are not the front rows, as you can tell. So for the Christian today, I think the back rows would be the chiefest seats. But anyways, we won't go off on all that. But you see, they loved wearing clothes that drew attention to themselves. They loved having people stand up and honor them. They loved getting the best seats in the synagogue, number four. They loved the uppermost rooms at feasts. Now what would happen is at these feasts, the rich people, they would invite the scribes to come. 
And when you were in the uppermost rooms, that's where all the good stuff was. The common people at your party, they didn't get to go up to the uppermost rooms. But since they were the scribes, they got to go there and they loved it. And I know we're in a Baptist church, so how can I describe something similar in a Baptist church? Potluck Sunday. And you're the first one to get in line for the potluck. You love being first. That's similar. That's as close as I get. Baptist and food, I know that that kind of ties a correlation there just a little bit. But you see, they loved the attention they would get. They loved the attention of people standing for them. They loved sitting in the best seats. They loved getting the best treatment at feasts. Number five, they devoured widows' houses. That doesn't sound very good, does it? They were to be there for the widows. That's, God was big on that Old Testament, New Testament. But one of the things that they would do is, and what would happen is, they would often be, these scribes, you could call them estate planners. They would help a widow take care of their property and everything, and you could just give it to the temple. Or you could give it to me as the scribe. And they literally took from those they were to be helping. Number six, they make a show of their religious activities. The prayers that they prayed. And uh, the past couple weeks, last week we honored our policemen. And being a chaplain, one of the things that I get a privilege of doing is praying at different events. And so they call an invocation. And so um, the thing that I love is, our cities make it clear, you pray in Jesus' name and you say whatever you want to about Jesus anytime you pray. And that's why I'll do it. But the other day on, on Wednesday, I had to the salute to public safety, and there was like three or 400 people there. And I was so nervous to pray in front of three or 400 people. And then this message popped up in my mind. And like God said, hey, buddy, let me ask you a question. Okay. Um, are you praying to them? No. Are you looking for them to be happy with the prayer? No. Then why are you nervous? In prayer, you got an audience of one. It's me. Why are you worried what they think? True. Made the prayer a lot easier. You know, and I've been at different events where people have these 10-minute prayers, and they have it written out word for word, point A, point B. If your whole goal is to make yourself look good when you pray, that's what these guys were doing. And the Lord said, watch out for this type of people. Because what's going to happen is with all these things, number seven, they're going to get judgment. They're going to get judged for this. And Christian, this morning, we don't have any scribes in our room today. But I would say that we do have a lot of Christians that are all about themselves and not about the Lord. I'm not going to park here long. I'm just going to go through this and we're going to continue on. Because some of you are going to be tuned out when I talk about giving in a minute. Some of you are going to tune out right now when I talk about this. But the reality is it's the truth. Why do you do what you do? Why do you, we talked about the first one there, they wore those long garments. Why do you dress the way you do? Do you do it for men to draw attention to you? Men to say, wow, you look, or is it to please God? It's awful quiet when you say things like that. Why do you, you know, why do you, some people today, and I hear people often, I've heard people say, you need to wear a suit to church. 
Can you show me where Jesus wore a suit to church? Did Jesus ever wear a suit and a tie? People say, Pastor, well, you're wearing a suit and a tie. Yeah, because if I didn't, some of you would be very upset, and I want you to be able to listen to the message this morning. You say, people get upset if you don't wear a suit and a tie? Yeah, come back tonight when I don't have a tie on. And there are people that don't like that. But I don't do it just for that reason. But you say, why are you wearing a suit this morning? Because I am for the Lord. Why are you not wearing one tonight? I'm dressing for him tonight. Wednesday night, I dress for him. And if you don't like it, tough. If I say that with a smile, does it make it easier for you to say? <laughs> tough. No, I don't know. But why? Do you like people to, do you like for people to show you respect? Do you like to get the applause of people? You know, they were, they wanted everyone to stand up. And I see it in, in our churches today and in colleges and things where you got to stand up for the pastor when he walks in the room. And it's like, that's, you're just being just like the scribe. Do you love that? And I, do you, there needs to be respect. And you should respect those. I, there should be respect for a pastor. And I'm not going to go down that road today. I don't need to do those things. But why do you do what you do? What happens when you come into church and someone sits in your seat? Don't they know that that's my seat? Don't you know there's no sign on any seat that says you have to sit in any seat? If you want, come sit in my seat up here. Andrew does it all the time. It makes me move around Sunday mornings when he's up here helping with the singing. And I don't know which seat to sit in. I just sit in a different seat. It doesn't matter. You always have to be served. You want the very best for yourself. You want to be front of the line for the potluck. You need to be very careful. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it for men to praise you, or do you do it for God? Our world today, and Christian, don't get caught up in it. Our world today is all about self and self looking good. Now, take care of yourself. Do those things. I get all of that. But go on, go on social media today. It's all about self-image and how you look and how many likes you get, how many followers you have. And I'm not against you having followers. I'm not against you having likes. Because I get five likes on more posts, too. Maybe four. It just depends. And my wife's one of those, thank God. i got to have her do it. I was thinking about adding my children to those social media things and hitting likes so I can at least hit ten. That would be nice, right? That would be a way to do it. But this is the way our world is today. But that doesn't mean a Christian needs to live their life that way. Don't be, do you love God more than you love yourself? We see the scribes that they love themselves way more than they love God. Letter B, we see the rich man here. We see this rich man, it says in verse number 41, it says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. Now we see, we don't know much about this rich man here. But we do know he put a lot of money in. And uh, when we look at this and we think about this, the way that their plates or their offerings were designed was, it was kind of like a trumpet-shaped thing, and it was loud. So when you put money in there, you could be known. You know, like in our offering plates today, most people don't use change. It's mainly dollar bills or checks, so they aren't very loud. You can't really make a scene putting your money into the offering plate. Unless you, bri- you, know, unless you bring in a thousand ones or something, and Made my statement, all ones. People in that day, the rich, brought of their abundance. 
Matthew 6, verse 1 through 4 talks about things like this. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I said to you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what is in thy right hand, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And you see, a lot of those in that day were hypocrites because all they wanted was men to look at them. Wow, you gave so much. You've done so much. I thought about the other day, looking at that picture of the bus being in Mexico, and I went to Mexico a couple months ago. I mentioned to you that on the streets down there, the highways, when you got into these little towns, they, the, the state, Sonora, they had um, tolls you had to pay in certain places. But you get into these little towns, these little towns, there weren't tolls you're supposed to pay. But the people of the city had rope that they would hold across the street, and they were out there with buckets wanting money from you. And if you didn't put money in their bucket and you drove through their rope, rope they threw rocks at your car. So going with TJ like I did, the key was he had a ton of pennies with him. And literally you throw four pennies into their bucket, it makes a loud noise, and they think they got a lot of money, and they just let you go. Every one of those, and it happened at least ten times between the trip down and back, you just four pennies. And they thought they got good money, and they got pe four pennies. It's the noise deceived them, because they thought, wow, you're putting a lot in there. In all reality, these rich folks were deceiving them around. Because they were pouring in their money they had. But the Bible says they gave out of their abundance. This was not giving. This was easy. It's easy to give when you have an abundance. Well, some people it's not even easy to do it then. But most of the time it's easier to give when you have it in abundance. But this man, all he wanted was for people to be able to look at him. Wow. That guy is special. Look at what he's given to God. Like the verse tells us here, if that's your attitude with your offerings or things that you do, you have your reward. Just like who knows, that money that came in the mail for those, well, I'm using it for the, if it was for something else, they, it was a blank envelope. I could have kept it for myself, but I've been praying for money for the, uh, for the things, the mailers, so that's a good spot for it to go. They could have put in bold letters their name and everything else. I don't know who it is. For all I know, it could be someone in our church. It might not be. Who knows? But do you know who does know? He knows. You know who's happy with that offering that was given? He is. And there's going to be no one here that gets praised for it because we don't even know who it is. That's how it's supposed to be. Do you love God today more than yourself? Or do you love God less than you love yourself? We see these scribes, they loved the attention. They loved everything being about them. This man loved it being about him. And we see something different, number two this morning and lastly today. Some people love God more than self. That's more rare in this case. But there are those that love God more than they love themselves. We look at this passage and we look and 
We look at verse 41, it says that Jesus sat over against the treasury and he beheld. This was, he was looking in on these folks. And may I just, and you, when you're looking in, you think about the Lord looking in, I, what I believe he was doing is he's looking at the heart. The heart matters. Do you realize that this morning? Christian, you know what the big problem with the Pharisees was? The fact that they said they were one thing and lived a completely different life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the heart matters today. Your heart matters. The Lord knows your heart. Remember when, when Samuel was going to find a king in David's household? Got to be the oldest. Look at him. He's sharp. He's strong. He's got to be the guy. And they go through all the brothers. And when David's finally fit, God says, you got to understand something, Samuel. I don't see as other men see. I look on the heart. God sees the heart. And you can play Christianity, you can wear the best of clothes, you can act like whatever you want to act like, but at the end of the day, he knows your heart. We look at this woman. What was so special? Was it her gift? No. Two mites. Nothing, really. In society of that day, she gave nothing. But she gave all. And Jesus called his disciples over, hey guys, you probably heard all the money that that rich guy put in. You've heard all the giving take place. This woman has given more than anyone else. And they might have been thinking, um, two mites, we heard a little drop in there compared to all that money this rich man just gave. But Jesus made it clear. The rich man gave of his abundance, and the widow gave all she had. I want to give you a few thoughts about giving right now. And some in the room, I already mentioned it, some of you aren't going to like it. Some of you won't mind it, and we're going to give it anyways. Letter A, the attitude of our hearts in giving makes all the difference. Your attitude that you have, the heart of your attitude in giving makes all the difference. Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burdened, not charity, it profits me nothing. You give everything away, be the biggest giver in the world, but you don't do it out of a heart of love, it profits you nothing. That's why the heart behind the giver is what matters. 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Do you see that right there? And, and this morning as we go through these things, let's be honest as a church, there are many in our church that need to get their hearts right in this area of our giving. But I don't want you to get to the point where I'm only giving because pastor bugged me about it. Keep your money. I have to do this. Is someone holding a gun to your head telling you you have to do this? No. God loves a cheerful giver. Your heart behind your giving matters. It matters greatly. I'll tell you this. When your heart's not in the right place, you're not going to give either. 
It's all a matter of the heart. We like to look at all these outward things. You know, this person, they're sinning, and this is going on in their life, and this is happening, and they're doing this. It's all being revealed just what's in the heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's a Bible verse, okay? Matthew 6, 21. Your heart matters. And if you're not giving to God, your heart shows is not right. Point number one, as I just mentioned, is the attitude of the heart matters. Number two. Did you put in number two up there? I'll go back to my notes and read through them, or letter B. The motivation for our giving reveals the depth of our faith in God. What motivates you to give? This is what I hear Christians say today. Let's just, let's just run through it real quick. Let's just run through it. Tithing is an Old Testament thing. It is. The tithe is mentioned in the Old Testament in the first fruits. It is an Old Testament form of giving. God's people gave God the first, the tenth tithe. That's where that comes from. So I'm, I don't have to give God, well, you see, there's that. I don't have to. You don't have to give God. That's where it all begins. But should we go to 2 Corinthians? We could go to some verses and look how I believe that we're under this thing called grace giving today. And I think that goes above and beyond what a tithe even is. But you can decide, you can talk to God. You do what God leads you to do. It's a matter of the heart. But this is the thing. I guarantee you this morning, if you are not giving to God, you say, Pastor, you just want more money. I've had someone tell me that a while back. I don't want your money. I want you to be obedient to God. Now, could we do more at our church if we had more money? Yes. Now, one of these days, you know, think about this. If everyone tithed in our church, your kids could go to our Christian school for free. We wouldn't need to charge if everyone tithed. Think on that. There'd be no charge for Christian school. I could have an assistant pastor. People have asked me, why don't you have an assistant pastor? There's not enough money for one. That's why. Someday, Lord willing, there will be. But if we could just get a hold of the motivation, what should motivate us to give? How can we be cheerful when we give? I want you to see these three things. Number one, we should give because we loved him. That should be the driving force. Why do I give? Because I love God. That's why I give. And be it a tithe, be it whatever you do, you talk to the Lord and see where you stand. I think a tithe is a great place to start. But I give, the motivation behind my giving is because I love him. The love of Christ, it constrains me. Number two, I give because I trust him. I trust him. The Bible is full of statements and promises from God that if you do what God tells you to do, he will take care of you. And if you can trust him for salvation this morning, you can trust him in giving. But gas prices are $6. I know. Have you seen that? And yet we're still driving everywhere we drive, right? When gas prices get real bad, that's when everyone's going to be, we're going to, we'll have plenty of parking. Everyone will be able to park in the parking lot because we'll all be on bicycles, right? And so it'll be when it gets real bad right there. But I still see the gas pumps full of people. 
or we wait an hour in line at Sam's Club to save 50 cents a gallon, and then you waste all the gas waiting in line for that to get up to the spot. But anyways, but I trust God in the good days and the bad days. And you say, do you always trust him? No, there are times where I don't. We all, if you're honest, do you always trust him? I wish I did. But when it comes to this area, why do I, what, what, what motivates me to give to the Lord? Because I love him and because I trust him. I trust him to take care of me. Number three, I give because he's given to me. And he gave us his very best in his son. Didn't he? Could he have given us anything better? No, he gave us our very best. So do you give God your best? The rich man did not. He gave of his abundance. It was a lot in substance, but the widow gave all to God. Letter C. God will do great things with our small offerings. When we think about giving in the Bible, let's use Jesus' day. Do we know how much the rich man gave here? No. But we know about a widow that gave two mites. There's one other lady that I think of in the Bible about an offering she gave to the Lord. Her name was Mary. She had that ointment, the box of ointment, an expensive box of ointment. She poured it and broke it on Jesus. Compared to people of that day and the riches and things that they had, it wasn't a big offering. But church, little is much when God's in it. And that's important to remember. Letter D, the Lord will settle his accounts one day. Talked about this, the scribes there, how their judgment would come. And I'm not going to park here long. We as Christians, you got to understand something. Therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You are not going to be judged for your sins. That was paid for on the cross by Jesus. Praise God for that. But I think a lot of Christians think the judgment seat of Christ is just going to be a big party. The judgment seat of Christ is where our works are going to be tried by fire. Did, why did you do what you do? We'll really know in that day when our works get tried by the fire and there's nothing left. We will give an account to God for what we do with what God's given to us. Don't ever lose sight of that. You're not going to hell if you're a saved child of God. He's not going to judge you in that realm, but you will give an answer to God for what you do with what God's given to you and me. I'm going to give an answer to God for how I pastored this church. That's Bible. Letter E. We're almost done. I said this already, and I'm saying it again. It is the attitude of our hearts, not the size of our gift that makes what we give usable to the Lord. Attitude of the heart, not the size. Do we get that? Do we understand that today? It's a matter of the heart. It's the attitude of the heart. And letter F. God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants me. That's what he wants. He wants all of us. He just doesn't want, and God just wants my, no, God doesn't want your wallet. He wants you. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We belong to him. At the end of the day, he wants us to let him be in control.
this widow, she gave all that she had. In the world's eyes, it didn't amount to much, but in God's eyes, she gave her, she gave it all. How's your heart today? Do you love God more than you love yourself? Or do you love yourself more than you love God? I think many Christians would do themselves a favor to admit the fact that they love themselves more than they love God and try and work and get that right. This whole chapter, I think out of all the chapters in Mark so far, I think this chapter is my favorite. And this was the toughest one for Jesus. But by the end, what we see is there was these religious folks. Start out with the parable about them. There were these religious folks that loved the way they had things. They didn't want change. They wanted to stay just the way they had it. They loved their system. And Jesus came, they thought, to take away their kingdom that they've set up. And they were going to do anything within their power to destroy him because they loved themselves way more than they loved God. And then the passage closes with a widow that we know very, a poor widow. That's what it says. So this lady was poor and she's a widow that loved God and gave him all that she had. Who are we more like today? Do you love God? Then your actions should show it. We all love ourselves. We all do. We got to be honest in that fact. We do. We all do. And as long as we live here on this earth and have on this flesh, our love will be tainted. It will not be perfect love that we have for anybody or anything. And even our love for God is motivated by the fact that he loved us first, which shows we get, our love is motivated by the fact we get something. That's what it shows. But this woman said, I don't have much to give, but Lord, I'm giving you me, giving it all to you. And Jesus was like, guys, guys, you got to see this. This woman he marveled at this woman. And she gave nothing. No, she gave everything. The heart matters. Let's get our hearts right. And let's do what God's called us to do. And let's love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. And let's love our neighbor as ourself. The next couple weeks is going to be biblical prophecy. And we're going to look at some end times things in chapter 13, which will be fun for some of you prophecy nuts in the room. Father,